This B-Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B-E. That's IXL.com B-E. We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, my flex learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Cybertraps podcast. Today, we have a very special episode for you. I am your host, Jethro Jones. We'll be talking about the Inch360 conference that took place in Spokane, Washington. This conference is a must-attend event for cybersecurity folks here in Spokane, Washington. And it was a great opportunity for me to connect with cybersecurity folks here in Spokane and learn about a lot of things that are going on in the world of cybersecurity right now. This episode is one of the sessions from the conference. I hope you enjoy it. This session is titled, Working with MSPs or Outside Cyber Services. All right, we're going to get started, everybody. So I'm Nolan Garrett. I'm the CEO and founder of Torchlight. And you may have also heard of us as Intrinium. It's a company that does managed security, managed IT, and cybersecurity consulting nationally, um, based here in Spokane, actually. Um, I want to start with, you know, just thanking Heather and Drip7 and all of the sponsors. Thank you so much for putting this together. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, I've heard a lot of great things from the various people I've spoken to about how great this event has been. So thank you. And also just a note, I didn't think very clearly, um, don't heckle the primary coordinator during their talk if you have to go after them. So please be nice to me, Heather. Don't heckle me too much if, if you could. All right, um, we're gonna jump in. Um, I'll have you each kind of introduce yourself and then we'll just go through some questions. Uh, we'll open questions up to the audience and um, probably wrap up because we've got about 30, 40 minutes to do it. So uh, if you'd like to start, John, go ahead. Well, I'm right in line, so that, that makes sense. Uh, my name is John, uh, John Hansman with Truett. We're also a managed service provider, cybersecurity consulting. Uh, one of the things that differentiates us uh, is we are what we what I call a full stack only managed IT provider. So we really do everything based on risk assessments and what we find there and then uh, create a plan. So, oh yeah, you have your own mind. Uh, I am Sahan Fernando. I am the chief information security officer for Rady Children's Hospital and Health Center. Uh, we are the largest pediatric health system in California. Uh, not sure outside of there. And uh, U.S. News and World Report top 10 uh, for peds overall. Uh, prior to joining Rady, uh, I worked locally, actually, 
with uh, Nolan and a few others in this room, uh, doing everything from working in the security operations center to incident response and engineering, uh, architecture, uh, janitor duties, and um, a few other things probably. Uh, I also uh, serve on the board for the Health ISEC and do a few other things here and there. Uh, I also coach at Gonzaga for men's rowing. And a couple, you know, extra thanks to Sahan. I approached him over the weekend when uh, somebody wasn't able to make it and asked him if he could, you know, pop in and do this. So thank you for changing your schedule last minute to make it happen for us. Bryce? Um, I'm Bryce Lemming. I'm the public safety systems manager for uh, Spokane Regional Emergency Communications, which is our 911 um, phone system or, and dispatch center. Um, I've been in IT for about 20 years. I started my career in the military and then moved to uh, the private sector. I worked for a wireless internet service provider for a couple of years. And then after that, I moved into public safety and uh, I've been working with Shrek for, that's what that's acronym for anyway. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Shrek. Yeah. Shrek. Yeah. Awesome. Um, for 13 years. Awesome. All right. Let's, uh, let's hop into some of the questions here and then we'll open some up to the audience. So, um, question number one, in the current digital landscape, are cybersecurity add-ons like training, password management, uh, email filtering, are those things essentials for businesses that have more than five employees? What's your perspective? I think, I think we should ask the crowd after we had all these sessions, because I think if you've been paying attention, the answer is yes. Like it's a resounding yes. You have to have all those things if you're in business today. Yeah, absolutely. Any other feedback, comments? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yes. Um, yes, of course. Especially the small, small organization. Like we're pretty small. We have, we have, um, four people in our IT department, including myself. So, um, there's a lot of gaps there. So we have to fill those gaps and, and a lot of expertise that's, you know, that's directed towards specific systems. So, um, it's good to have an outside you know, look at things. So I think that's very important for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I know one of the questions uh, in the previous panels, you know, was talking about how do like SMBs, small businesses or startups, you know, figure out how to implement security, you know, from the ground up. And, you know, one of the things that, that I've definitely identified is, you know, that the small businesses tend very much to really focus on trying to get the business off the ground or be profitable. And in some ways they almost get the short of the stick. I've heard this terminology on LinkedIn and Twitter about, or I guess it's not Twitter now, um, you know, about being at the short end of the security poverty line, if you're in the SMB, right? Like all of the enterprises have the money to spend. And if you're in the SMB world, you have very limited resources. And I think that uh, your service providers are going to be a very big piece of who, who's going to bring that to the table for you and bring an enterprise level of quality, um, to something you probably couldn't do on your own for sure. Um, you know, going on from there, you know, some vendors, they, they kind of downplay the need for comprehensive cybersecurity, uh, to remain competitive in pricing because there's a lot of price sensitivity within the SMBs. How does this approach contrast with the evolving nature of cyber threats? I mean, <laughs> information security is, is, is a science of risk management, I would say. And so if you're saying that that's not part of your competitive advantage, I think that really discounts the idea of availability of whatever it is you're offering. Uh, right. I mean, for those who aren't familiar with the CIA triad, that's confidentiality, integrity, and availability. And those components balancing all of that, right. If we're not balancing the risk that includes the administrative and technical controls and the appropriate investments 
commiserate with the risk we're talking about. Uh, I, I, I think that's really, you're, you're assuming more risk than you're probably comfortable doing so and doing it in an unknowing way is even worse. Well, I guess the question becomes, are you making your decisions based on risk or on finances? So sometimes you walk into, and I, of course I talk with small business owners all the time and you run across some who say, I'm going to make this based on what's best risk level for my business because I'm collecting information because I don't want to get hacked because I don't want to lose my business to this stuff. And then you have people who say, I just don't want to spend the money. And, and so the, the question is, is like, if you're talking about cybersecurity and risk, we've just said, we saw like Whitworth, I was impressed. They had a lot of stuff in place and they still had a really big incident. So what if you have nothing in place and you get hacked? Is insurance going to cover it? There's, there's those kind of questions. I think you have to like be real about what's happening in the world and ask, ask yourself, is getting the best deal worth it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and, you know I'm going to jump to a different question because you mentioned it. What do you think businesses can do to effectively bridge the gap between cybersecurity insurance and security operations center services? And how do you feel MSPs play a role in that and at what level? Yeah, I think that was my question. Yeah. So um, we, we went through that. We just recently acquired our SOC. Um, and we, we have managed services through another vendor that's separate from our SOC. Um, we, we really wanted to make sure that um, our insurance plan and our SOC communicated and that there, wa that there was... Um, that when we needed to activate um, our IRP, that um, and there was an incident that uh, that they that they worked well with each other, right? And so that we can get all the resources that we needed, and that we were going to be covered correctly. And then our SOC and uh, they they were also helping us understand where our shortcomings were with our insurance plan. So this was it was really helpful that they were actually partners before. Yeah. Um, we go through, I know we don't like name dropping, but we go through AIG as for our insurance company and, and they're, um, the SOC that we chose, they're, they're well-versed in, in that company and they have connections with them already. Yeah. So that was, I thought, I felt that was really important to, to get that going so that we can, um, um, really mitigate the amount of time or, you know, or, you know, increase or make things quicker in our response. Right. And, and, uh, and that there wasn't anything that we missed and that we weren't hanging out with liability. That, that makes sense. I mean, we talk about tabletop testing, right? The whole point being to have practiced before you got there and, and making sure your vendors are integrated into practice together is critical as well. Well, I think you said the key word, you said partnership. And I think a really good MSP provider is providing a partnership, understanding that you having good cybersecurity insurance that is going to pay out if you have, or when you have an incident is really key. And that's where the MSP comes in, right? Because we're putting things in place to ensure we're, we're effectively checking the boxes on that insurance form, that really long insurance form you have to fill out and ensuring not that you just check the boxes, but those things actually exist so that when the, when you have an incident, the insurance company asks you, did you have. 24 on a sock. Are you encrypting data? All of those questions that they ask that you can actually say yes. So they go, okay, looks like you did everything you, you should. And, and so there's no reason why we shouldn't uh, 
help you with this incident. Absolutely. Absolutely. If I might add, add some perspective there, not necessarily disagreeing. It, in my experience, at least, it is rare to find someone that is that comprehensive at the right price point, at least at the more SMB level. And at the enterprise level, they tend to insource it. But uh, dealing with the insurance companies is day to day for me. And underwriting has become com incredibly complex. Uh, and while there are a lot of discovery questionnaires, it, it is worth noting, I guess, especially for the audience, that uh, when you activate that retainer, they're actually in charge of the investigation. And there is that that balance there of if you're hoping that they foot the bill, you're also ceding control of the narrative, the investigation, your recovery, uh, when you could actually restore services. Uh, you're ceding all of that control to them. They pick who they're going to bring in for incident response. Um, and like you kind of mentioned, if they might say, well, you didn't pick someone off of this obscure clause, you didn't pick a provider that we sanctioned. So, you know, this entire claim is null and void. Um, so there are a lot of things because they are also very good at risk management to to be aware of and cognizant of and, and make kind of that informed decision. Uh, you know, and there have been in incidents where, you know, we say we go to the insurance company and say, hey, we think there might be a thing. We're putting you on notice. And they immediately want to come in and wrap everything under legal privilege and, and try and control the investigation. Uh, and then similarly, you know, right up the road from us recently, another healthcare system was, uh, was hit with ransomware and they weren't allowed to share any information, which is very atypical because generally, especially within healthcare, you want to provide some heads up to other partners, not just on the tech side, but also operationally, you know, you're doing ambulance diversions. We kind of need some context on what's going on. So I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say, I think you're right. And, and I think part of it is got to be careful because there's insurance regulation, but there should be a level of partnership with you, the client, and helping you ask the right questions to your insurance vendor so that they then know that you have the right incident response vendor and you've got all those things in place. And it, there's nothing wrong with asking those questions ahead of time just to make sure that everything you're getting from your managed provider is going to be covered and they, they have the right tools that match uh, what your provider, what your insurance company is asking for. Well, I think it's also a good idea to audit your your insurance plan every year too, because I'm noticing that it's changing every year and the pricing changes and, and then their service level changes, right? So having a partner like that to help you understand where your gaps are at yeah. would be, would be a real help. I think that's where a risk assessment on a regular basis yeah. is also really important mm -hmm. as well. I'm, I'm kind of curious. It sounds like you just re recently went through the underwriting process, not to divert too much. Go ahead and moderate. It's all you, man. How <laughs> did you find that you you know, the markets become increasingly, I mean, almost less competitive because our experience is that there are less people that are willing to even offer these sorts of policies. So I guess it really depends on if how many incidents they've had, right? So um, we haven't had anything. We're a relatively new organization and um, it was kind of like a writer on top of our regular insurance plan. And then that was kind of concerning to me because I don't, they didn't understand, they didn't understand the IT security part. I would, I, it was thinking, right? So, um, because it was just an overarching insurance policy. So, um, I, I noticed that some of the service level changed, like they wouldn't cover their coverages were, were changing each year, even, even though our pricing was going up. So and actually understanding what they do cover and how and when, and, and what the whole, and what it would actually looks like when you have an incident 
is important. And we and I our partners actually help us understand what that what that look like. Well, and again, I'm going to disclaim again. I'm not an insurance person, so just saying that. But there is a difference between insurance add-ons and actual cybersecurity insurance. And, and that's something you should talk to your agent about just so you understand the difference. Because I, what you're saying is accurate from what I've seen. There are less and less policies available for cybersecurity insurance or less providers willing to jump into the space. And in some cases, it depends on you, the market or the business that you're in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I, was, I just renewed my cybersecurity insurance and it was like last year there was five, this year there were three. So that, that's, a, that's a real legitimate thing. And it really depends on the industry that you're in and how much risk they've seen and whether they're willing to take that on. Yeah, I agree with that. That's, um, I think it's very important that they understand your business. They understand your flows. They understand your critical infrastructure, all of that. I think that that's huge, even with, even especially with our managed services too. They need, that's. Well, I don't know why I didn't say this in my introduction, but I just wrote a chapter in a, in a cybersecurity book. And. My particular thing that I wrote it on was the, the cost of, a, of an incident. And, and what you'll find is add-ons don't generally cover enough to cover a real cybersecurity incident. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and I did a lot of research, way more than I expected to do on the topic. And it was astonishing just the amount of money that can be spent for a cybersecurity incident. And then you look at just regular premiums and they don't cover it. Yeah. I, I've seen quite a few policies, especially offered to SMBs that cover $50,000 worth right. of incident response, which sounds like a lot of money, but that's like a day worth of effort, you know, when you're in the middle of it and then you're on the hook for the rest, they won't cover it. Yeah. So. If you're a million dollar company, you're talking about a two to $300,000 incident potentially. Yeah, exactly. All right. Let's take some questions from the audience. If we have some, the question was, you know, if you're evaluating an MSP, how much due diligence are you doing and, and what does your risk assessment or vendor management process look like for selecting that vendor? and making sure that that vendor is appropriately covered when they're managing your business operations. I'll say it this way from, if you ask me that question directly as a business owner, I wouldn't be offended. <laughs> like if you ask me questions like, Hey, do you have Arizona mission insurance? What kind of training are you doing? I'm not going to be offended by that because I I'm proud of the, what I have. And so I think that you shouldn't be afraid to ask what might seem like maybe offensive or hard questions to a, a managed service provider, because that's important to your business to know that. I think you should ask the question. I think that's, that's a great, great question. Yeah. And I wouldn't be afraid to get legal involved too, when it comes to, to comes to that, if you have a legal department or if you have a, re, you know, somebody on retainer or whatever, but, um, I think that that's, that's what we did. We, we, we have a, we had a consultant help with that to help understand, um, what, what the um, MSP was providing and then what our insurance company, um, what they would cover and then to make sure that every, all the bases were covered. Fortunately, ENO is pretty standard, like requirement, you know, like it, we, you should have it in our industry. So, so there was a, a portion in, in that question that no offense, no, it wasn't, wasn't restated. I want to just answer very quickly, which is, uh, at least at, at our level, we don't have someone else fill it out. Um, so that's not necessarily a concern for us. Um, yeah, I would imagine uh, if you are having assistance and yeah, you would want want that sort of coverage. Um, and if you weren't aware of it, then hopefully you're here and you found out. Um, as far as the due diligence process in a more total sense, 
uh, you know, in my role, there's a good amount of time, especially this time of year, uh, spent on assessing that risk, both from an operational capacity, from a legal capacity. Uh, you know, we're fortunate to have legal counsel on staff, um, you know, general counsel and other staff attorneys. Uh, and so we, we do a lot of contract review, um, myself included. We're looking at different clauses in there. We do assessments on based off of the, uh, you know, the nature of the relationship, you know, they're, they're it's going to favor, you know, again, going back to CIA, depending on what they're doing for us, we might look a lot deeper into certain parts of that triad. Um, you know, so if they're directly patient supporting availability is going to be huge if it's something related to our emergency department flow versus maybe a less critical application, but still dealing with a significant amount of uh, PHI or PII. Uh, we're going to do a little bit more on the integrity and confidentiality side. And we take, we take a look at their shop as well, especially as the amount of records involved scales as the amount of money at stake fail, uh, scales. We start to look a little bit deeper. Um, I'm not a snob. I, I don't demand a SOC 2 and things like that. Some of my peers do. Uh, but I, I think we take it with a bit of nuance that that's just a report and not everyone needs to have it, but it's great if you do and we'll look through it. Um, but we've got questionnaires, so we have conversations, um, you know, we've got riders that guarantee certain controls, both administratively as well as uh, from a technology standpoint. And we try and balance the risk uh, for new vendors as well as existing vendors through kind of all of those, those facets. Awesome. Um, I think I saw a few other hands go up when I asked for questions. Do I have other questions out here? So, so the question was how, you know, you're all running, you know, these various portions of the cybersecurity, you know, portion of your business or an MSP or what have you, how are you keeping yourselves educated and up to date and making sure your skills and competencies remain relevant while you're focused on a broader array of things that might not just include cybersecurity? So two things we do as an MSP, and that's just my company for some of the cybersecurity safeguards, we actually outsource, like I have my partner here who was on one of the last panelists. So we outsource some of the things uh, to others that are more on the uh, comprehensive level. So like if it's uh, directly looking at incident response, at looking at uh, log ingestion, all of those things, um, it's, it's better for me as an MSP to hire a team and outsource that. Uh, as far as like my individual employees, uh, we're smaller. We're actually a four, we don't necessarily look like it, but we're a four person shop. So it's just my wife and I and two techs, uh, from the very beginning, we just said, Hey, we're going to invest time and pay our guys to take trainings and pay for the trainings themselves. That's just some of the things that, that we've done on our own. Um, and that's what I recommend. We had, we invest heavily in just training and then also having an outside person come in and, and help our team. Uh, grow in that in that technical area so i bet well so go ahead <laughs> yeah mine's pretty short huh so <laughs> so we actually we we rely quite a bit our it department on our managed services to understand what's what's important now and and our SOC in particular um, we have weekly meetings with them and uh, we go over all the you know the the current threats and, and vectors that are, you know, that are happening. And, and, um, and then I, that kind of pointed me towards drip seven and Heather, she's been, she's going to be helping us create our training program for our IT department, but not just them, but also the whole agency. So, um, um, 
we, we yeah, I guess we just, we rely on, on our partners to help, help us understand where, um, what direction we need to, we need to, um, focus our trainings on. So, uh, for me personally, uh, there's a few things and it, part of it, I think you kind of touched on it, uh, pretty heavily in your, your answer, the culture for my team. Um, I didn't necessarily say this earlier, but, uh, so we're, we're hybrid. We do have a partner that helps us with 24 by seven coverage and augmenting our detection and response pipeline, um, and activities. Uh, but we're fortunate to have the resources to have a good amount insourced as well. So we're not fully reliant on them. Uh, and so from the managed service, you know, provider, really the MSSP side, they do help us quite a bit in outsourcing those responsibilities, uh, you know, having the resources to focus exclusively on the detection response pipeline, making sure that we understand the telemetry that's going in. Um, we're constantly working on the right artifacts that are kind of a part of that pipeline because cost is a factor and we can't just send them everything. And also, um, there are things that we aren't in scope that we need to handle internally. Uh, and so that what goes into kind of staying up to date, I mean, conferences are huge. Uh, I was all last week and leaving tomorrow again for, um, various continuing education conferences. Uh, some networking groups, uh, go a long way. I read a lot. I have some newsletters that really go a long way when I have the rare time to listen to podcasts, sure, uh, podcasts go along. It's, it's about finding those sources that are, uh, the right use of your time, I would say, and just keeping up on where, are, where is the industry going? Uh, again, understanding the risks and then also just how does the technology work? Um, I think one of the things that is relevant to the answer for the, your question, uh, specialization is really great, especially at the enterprise, but. For me, I feel it, it's still so important to have a broad base of just what the heck's going on. And I, I was very fortunate to have those opportunities early in my career. Uh, admittedly, maybe working slightly too much. You don't want to look at old time <laughs> cards, but uh, regardless, right? Just trying to understand a little bit more about how everything works because it's harder for us to be effective in information security if we're just speaking from kind of the bastion of, well, security said, do the thing, and we don't actually understand the impact. We don't understand the magnitude. Um, we don't even really understand how the app works. We just see the output of a Vaughn scanner and just say, go, go fix it. So. Well, and I would say too, one of the big pivots for our business is we really moved towards MSSP in the last year and a half of our business, uh, is peer groups for us. So I'm a part of a really large cybersecurity focused peer group. And just like you, I'm going to conferences four or five times a year and listen to podcasts. I listen to them more because I drive a lot. <laughs> so I, I just listen to a lot in the car. And then we, we put that information out to our staff and our staff meetings and through like teams, news articles and things that we're learning. So I think peer groups for any industry are phenomenal. Like they just help you gather information. And then you, with us, we're seeing nationally. 300 minute managed service providers who are experiencing all the same stuff and they openly post incidents that are happening and how they're responding to them and things like that too. Do you have any recommendations for the crowd on kind of general ones to get started in? Some podcasts, uh, or peer or peer groups. Yeah. Well, if you're, well, if you're an MSP, uh, come talk to me, I'll tell you. Uh, but there's, there's one. Uh, I don't know how many MSPs we actually have in the room, but I, I, I'm part of the Chris Weiser's group. If you know who that is, uh, the seven figure MSP, they've been phenomenal. 
Uh, and then as far as podcasts go, uh, I have to look at my list because now they're on auto. <laughs> I can look at my podcast list, but there's some really good ones out there that do both news. So like I get a five minute and a 30 minute brief every day. And then I had, then usually on Fridays, they have an actual topic where they tear down something that happened and go through the details of it. So if you're, if you're wanting to just have some basic knowledge, there's some good resources out there podcast wise or, or whatnot, just to be able to at least understand the threat level that's happening. And I would, oh, just real quick. I would also add, there are local information security groups. Um, I don't know if there's still 2,600 around, but, uh, there's DEF CON 509 and, and some other ways to, to engage. Yeah. No, no, I guess I was just gonna ask you, I mean, we, our industry is pretty unique. And so we have our peer groups. We, we kind of are our partners, actually, we we're starting to come together. Um, we have a network, we have networks that touch each other in our, where we're at. And, and, uh, so we're, we're working with those people too, to, you know, like we've invited, um, our other agents, t agencies to our tabletop, um, exercises. Um, and, um, so I, I think that's, I think that's another method too. I mean, just within your own industry, I think you're kind of talking about that with your, with yours, but, um, that's, that's what we do too. We, 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 um, leverage our, uh, our partners and, and, and try to open up lanes of communication. And most likely your peer groups within your own industry are talking about this now because it's such a, a big issue, a big hot topic. So you can utilize that as well. Yeah. Yep. I agree. So, you know, we covered a little bit, I want to move on to this question. Um, you both talked about, you know, having a hybrid relationship with the SOC and managing that and, you know, weekly meetings with the SOC that you have and how you coordinate that. How, how do you manage the performance of these vendors, you know, understand and evaluate whether they're kind of meeting the requirements for you in an ongoing way. Once you've selected them, how do you make sure they're doing a good job? What's your process and approach for that? Uh, I feel like I have a long-winded answer. I, I think my, my viewpoint is slightly biased since I work, used to work for an MSSP, but I will say that uh, I still somewhat believe there's there's only so much you can do to have the accountability there because, you know, proving a false negative, you know, the absence of anything wrong is obviously impossible. So, uh, you know, at a certain point, it's what are the established criteria for success with them? I mean, sure, you have penetration tests come through. How much did they catch? Uh, you know, you can have those conversations, talk about the artifacts that did or did not show up. Um, yeah, the the old school mentality of just like, well, time to response, mean time to detection. A lot of those things, I think they sound really great on paper, but mean time to detection, again, how do you how do you consistently keep that metric up to date and scale it very well, right? Because you're assuming that you're going to have the artifacts to begin with to show here was initial infection to time to detection. And, you know, those, those are just tough things to pull off. Um, the other things that from an accountability standpoint we do, I mean, they're, they provide us with various materials. They help augment our um, our CTI program, uh, which is counter threat intelligence. Um, they're they're a part of that, uh, and so I think there's a little bit of the accountability of: Are you also letting us know? It's it's anecdotal, but are you letting us know the things that we know are out there that you know we found through another source that you probably should also let us know, um, given your role? Well, I'd say too. Like, <laughs> I'm on the flip side, right? Because I'm. I'm the guy you're auditing. So, 
Um, one of the automatic things that we've built in is like business reviews. So you're meeting with your team weekly, which is, I don't, I honestly don't meet with my people, we, my customers weekly unless there's a problem. But uh, usually it's quarterly for us. So we usually do a quarterly business review with them and we, we cover like, did you have any incidents in the last, this last 90 days? Uh, we did some, we do regular fishing tests, you know, uh, did we have anybody who, who fell for those? Uh, here's where you're at in education. Is everybody caught up? Here are new things, new trends that are changing. So we actually go through those things quarterly with every one of our clients just to make sure that they're up to date on that stuff. I think that it's, while I take some responsibility for my client cybersecurity, it's also, they need, as a CEO, they need to know what's happening in their own business. And I think uh, to be a really good partner, we have a responsibility to help give them that information so they know what's happening. Yeah, absolutely. Ask for it. So, you know, out of curiosity, so, you know, we talked about performance management. It looks like I got time for one question, maybe, maybe two. Um, performance management. Let's talk about selection real fast. Are there any key critical criteria that you think are important to prioritize when selecting an MSP or MSSP? What are those and, and why do you believe that those are the ones to be prioritized? Yeah, I could start. Um, it was really important for me for our uh, managed service providers to understand our business, understand our workflows, um, and then understand our partners too. Um, and because we're all going to come to the table when when an incident happens, so that was really important. And they needed to demonstrate that they needed to show that they had relationships with these these other organizations already. And, um, so I, that was, that was, that was the most important part for us is to make sure that the end, because our business was, was unique and, um, we can't go down ever. Um, we can't, we can never stop taking on one calls and we can't stop communicating with our officers and, and medical professionals too. So, I mean, that it was really important that they understood our business. Yeah. So industry alignment, you know, or, or at least that business alignment critical. Yeah, I and mean, that's, that's usually normal, right? I mean, but it, it was, it was exceptionally important to us. Yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I would fully, fully concur with that. Um, enough, enough contextual awareness of how to be effective. I and mean, we don't use too many managed service providers as an organization, um, mm -hmm. especially from a technology standpoint. Um, but regardless if it's MSP or MSSP, I think there's uh, a little bit of the, just the BS factor of like, are, do you actually know what you're talking about? Because there's just uh, a lot of a lot of people have a very good story to sell and capability to execute is a completely different conversation. Um, and you know that was one of the first things when I joined was actually finally having the organizational buy-in to bring in uh, support for a security operations center because we were just when I I got there we were really just limping off of who we had at the time uh, internally and. It just really, we we're trying to get it to the next level. Uh, my predecessor did a great job with uh, the resources that they had, but uh, you know, obviously the, the world's evolved. And so capability to execute is huge. Um, I think, again, just coming from a fairly technical background, I also have my own opinions on, let's say, character references, um, you know, understanding a little bit more intimately the folks who work at these companies and do I buy into the work that they do, the re research I see, um, the outputs of kind of what they do, that's a, that was a big factor for me in my selection of kind of who, who do I think is really 
going to help augment the gaps that we have, and especially that highly specialized area, um, again, in kind of the detection response, you know, things that we can't do as well internally. Um, financial stability is also a bit of a thing. Um, See, so I told you, it was, it was, Heather was right, it was worth waiting until the end. I mean, the dirty other secret is some people have less tolerance for VC funding than others. Uh, and so <laughs> if they're very heavily, heavily VC funded, that can be a part of the equation because that kind of changes incentives for them as your provider versus um, if they're a little bit more self-sufficient, you know, their, their incentives are much, much different from my perspective. So. Yeah, I think uh, if you're talking about some, like maybe you're smaller, I think when you first walk into that first conversation with your, with a potential MSP, uh, I think they should be asking you important questions about cybersecurity and what you're doing. If they walk in and they just count up workstations and give you a price, they're probably not a, a managed, they're probably not a cybersecurity focused company. I, I think that they, they have to be doing some level of understanding your business, understanding your risk level asking really good questions and doing a longer, the sales process is not a day. It's more like a month in reality with the good MSSP. And so it's really a relationship that starts and, and takes a while to build up, uh, to make sure you have the right fit for your organization. I worked at a 24 hour monitoring center for home security for 20 years and understanding that versus like the, the, what it's like when you do go down. I don't know if this ever happened, but I remember a couple of times where we like had a full on phone outage and to under, to have a company that understands that pain point and what that's like, and to just be ready to put, help you put redundancies in, I think is super, super, super important. And you have to just make sure that you, they understand that and they're willing to partner with on that because especially if you're unique. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students, reliably meet tier one standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com slash B to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve these goals. That's IXL.com slash B-E. <laughs>